0: Is there any point you questioned whether or not this was the right call? Like, where you're like, oh my gosh, this is...
1: Yeah, so maybe once or twice a week that happens, right? So if you're a mortgage agent and uh, you're not questioning it, you're not doing enough tough files. I think it's a question that I've asked myself several times, but for me, you know, it's the alternative.
0: The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Welcome to B Rookie Mortgage Broker Podcast. Every Friday, we talk to a rookie who's making waves in the mortgage industry to find out how they're succeeding. Today in the show, I have Chris. I got to say this properly. Chris, hopefully I get this correct. Chris Kapeng yeah, Rihan, He goes by Cappy. That's much easier for me to say. Chris is from Filipino descent. Previously, was a financial advisor before becoming a mortgage agent. He took our 10 Steps 10 million program, which we no longer exist. I'll touch on that more in a moment. Got licensed in April 2020, 2 million that first year, 8.5 million last year in his full year. This year, he's on track to surpass that. And a couple of quick things about my conversation with Cappy. First, why not having a plan for your client conversation will cost you. We dive into that. We talk about what worked and what didn't when it comes to marketing. He shares his experience, putting his face, his branding on golf scorecards. And we talk about how to capture as many leads from your family and friends as possible. So at the end, I asked him sort of like, what's your biggest challenge? And he said, you know, I think some of my family, not everybody in my network knows what I do as well as I'd like them to know. And so I give him three different things that he can do and you as well could do to really tap into your network and get the most opportunity from it possible. And in the Ask the Expert segment, I talked to Ben McCabe from Bloom Finance about using reverse mortgages with high net worth individuals. This is actually a cool conversation and definitely one worth checking out. Before we jump into this episode, I want to give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application, document collection, and submission platform. Very easy to use. It's built for mortgage brokers. And so it's got a couple of cool things. First, it's got smart docs. So when the client's filling out the app, it's figuring out what documents they need. It's got smart submission notes. So when you go to hit submit, it knows what key data that needs to be pulled out of the application to put into the submission. And it's got connection to lender spotlights. So you can search all the rates, all the guidelines. And even when you go to hit submit to the lender, it'll pull up and say, hey, by the way, let you know, we're just sending you are sending it to this lender. Are you aware of these policies? It's pretty freaking slick. You can check them out at Lendesk.com Finmo, book a free demo. They'll give you a tour. I think you're going to love it. Check it out and check out this conversation with Cappy. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Scott. Hey, so uh, tell me a little bit about your business and where you're from. My background is Filipino,
1: but I'm the only one in my family that was actually born and raised here in London, Ontario. My business is primarily London, but I've you know been able to help people all across Canada, so it's been awesome. Yeah. And so how did you get into the mortgage business? Funny enough, I was a financial advisor prior to becoming a mortgage agent. And my broker, Jason Armstrong, approached me two times to become a mortgage agent. The first time was when I transitioned to an independent financial advising firm. And I just started it. And I was like, "Uh, you know, I just started this. I want to see how this turns out. And the second one was a point in time when I was thinking about making a change. So timing was everything. And I was deciding between going back to a big bank or doing mortgages. And Jason convinced me.
0: Best okay, so I it was Jason's <laughs> fault. I love, Jason's an awesome dude. I love that guy. So you were a financial advisor at a big bank, and then you went to an independent shop. What about that helped you in your mortgage business, do you think? So when
1: I was a part of that independent financial advising firm, a lot of my high net worth clients built their wealth through real estate. So I was doing a lot of advising through mortgages and different transactions that way, doing a lot of referrals to mortgage agents. So, you know, I thought it just made a seamless
0: transition, just kind of specialized on that mortgage aspect. Right. That makes sense. And so what surprised you most about being a mortgage broker versus you know being a financial advisor? So as a financial advisor, a lot of people don't think they need your help. Where
1: as a mortgage broker or agent, you can't get a mortgage without one of us or obviously going to the bank. But the effort that I had to make to get a mortgage as opposed to a financial advisor client is much
0: easier. That was a surprise for me. Yeah. One of my friends, Peter Matheny, who's mortgage architects guy, he says he used to be a financial advisor and he preferred to give people money than ask them to take their money. because <laughs> Give me your money, I'm to invest it. Now it's like, yeah, hey, here's a bunch of money, buy a house or refi. And so he found that just psychologically was better. So did you start full-time, part-time? So what was your transition? I jumped in with two feet. I was already uh, transitioning out and wanting to do
1: something different. You know, I just, I did it. Took a little bit to catch being a mortgage agent. You have that snowball, right? You do the activity and then the rest comes later. So a little bit of delayed gratification, but yeah,
0: jumped in with two feet. Okay. So you started, you told me before you got licensed in April 2020. And so what did you do for mortgages in that first year? Not your first year, the first like six, seven months, whatever it was.
1: The first thing was kind of just trying to let everybody know who I was and what I was doing. My warm market was the biggest thing for me and just reaching out to everybody and anybody I knew at that
0: time. And that's how I got a few of my deals. Right. Okay. Was there any point you questioned whether or not this was the right call? Like where you're like, Oh my gosh, this is.
1: Yeah. So maybe once or twice a week that happens. Right. So if you're a mortgage agent and uh, you're not questioning it, you're not doing enough tough files. I think it's a question that I've asked myself several times, but for me, you know, it's the alternative, like being a mortgage agent and being charged of my own business is far better than working for somebody else.
0: Right. And you have five kids now. Congrats. (laughs) So (laughs) you you want some flexibility that you're not having to be like, Hey, be in the office from this time to that time or whatever. So. Exactly. being a mortgage agent. I always say broker. I know in Ontario, it's technically an agent, whatever people understand, but yeah, I think basically there is some flexibility to it. So. Hey, so one of the things I love to ask new brokers about is a file that they hadn't lost, but now with their additional experience, they look back and go, "Ah, I know how I'd handle that. And I would do, you know, X, Y, and Z, because I think it's a good lesson for other people. So can you share a file that you believe now you'd handle differently? Yeah. It was actually one of my first referral
1: from a realtor client and I was brand new. It was like my first month as an agent and I didn't know what I didn't know. So they were kind of going between myself and their bank. I had no clue on, you know, really what the difference was between myself and the bank and how I could provide that value. So now like I know exactly what my value is compared to someone going to the bank and it would have been an
0: easier conversation between myself and that client to be able to keep them okay so my follow-up question to that is basically it was more to do with that client conversion conversation like having them convinced that you were their guy and so did they end up going with the other institution they did they did okay so i'm just curious because i think to make this helpful if i was that client today like what would you say you don't have to do the whole conversation how would you frame that out Honestly, it would have been a conversation about the three P's in RBC, the
1: training that we went through, um, yeah. you know, just talking about not just the rate, the payment and the lender. It's more about those six features that are going to save you a ton of money down the road. Right, right. And have you used that conversation in your... Every single client that I talk to, I talk about the three P's in RBC, definitely, right. like from the get-go. And how do they take that? They're surprised because when they do talk to the bank, the banks don't talk about anything other than rate.
0: That's all we um, talk about
1: yeah and so you know it's my scorecard versus their scorecard you know i'm just in it to make sure that you're maximizing your mortgage and making sure that you're going to save ton of money down the road and either by paying it off quicker or by
0: leveraging right right that makes sense okay and there's two distinct skills you need to have to be successful mortgage broker mortgage agent sales and underwriting which was harder for you definitely the underwriting
1: i've been in sales pretty much all my professional careers. What did you do before Um, mortgages? Oh, you're a financial advisor, right? Okay. Yeah. 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 So um, like, I've been in financial services since 2005. So selling wasn't huge, but the underwriting process is huge, right? Just understanding everything that a lender is going to be looking for. Obviously, I'm still learning now. We learn something new every day, but that underwriting piece is definitely
0: the biggest struggle. Right. Okay. So, 2020 was your first full year. So, how did you do for that year? Do you mind sharing? Because I think you had said to me before you did two million in that first getting your feet under you in that first kind of half a year. How was the second year? Second year was great. I put down about uh, eight eight and a half million in
1: sales so it really boosted what i needed to do is more money than i made as an
0: fa at that point in time so i was happy with right, that yeah cuz you at the bank usually the pay is not super i mean you could be making the bank a ton of money and they pay you have of money here you go you know have you ever looked up the net profit per employee of some of these banks no it's, i haven't it's but pretty it's fascinating it's like yeah. 200 and you know fifty thousand, I mean we're from 200000 200 to 400,000 dollars net profit per employee Oh, yeah. It's staggering what the employees
1: make for the bank, but then,
0: What the bank makes. So, you know what is it? Netflix. So, I always find what revenue per employee is interesting because people always, you know, brag about body count. Oh, we got this many employees. Well, yeah, it's a lot of overhead, but Netflix is 2.1 million per employee. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's crazy, right? Like, They make the banks look like, so it's a, (laughs) now they're spending money, like, you know, a drunken sailor on leave, nothing against sailors or people who like to drink, (laughs) but in any case, it's interesting. So, okay. I got distracted. My ADD kicked in. So the 8 million, where did the business come from? I'd love you to share one thing that really worked for you. And one thing that didn't, because I think, again, I'd love people to hear what something that worked, one thing that didn't.
1: I think what really kind of launched my business and that, you know, obviously we're on your show and stuff, but it was the, um, 10 loans to. Uh, and 10, 10 million. Yeah. 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 That really kind of brought me to where I needed to be. So I think that what launched it. The second part was just the activity that was promoted within that program the game of phones was something
0: that you guys still do
1: that as a group. We do every Tuesday we do. And I think it's very important because focusing on the activity rather than the outcome at the end is going to boost your business and kind of keep you sane. But that was one of the things, uh, one of the things that didn't really work for me was just the marketing that I was doing. So I spent a little bit in terms of, you know, putting my face on a golf scorecard that didn't really return anything, but now where I focus my marketing is I think about the dollar cost and how does that transition into a mortgage? So if I'm spending like three grand and I get, you know, at least one mortgage, well, then it's going to
0: be worth it. Right, right. So have you done any other kind of paid marketing? So the golf scorecard didn't work, but is there anything else that you've tried that has worked? That has not worked? That has worked.
1: Oh, that has worked. Nothing in terms of like, other than the training programs that you provide, those are the things that have worked awesome for me. The realtor preferred realtor program, I'm finding a lot of success with being able to chat with realtors and provide that value that
0: I can provide. That's been huge to uplift my business as well. One of the things you'd mentioned to me before we started recording was that you found some success from being in a networking group. So tell me Mm -hmm. about that. What type of networking group is it? Is it a structured one, unstructured? Because I think as a new agent, if you can get into one, a good one can literally be a huge benefit for your business. Yeah, no, great question.
1: Like networking was a big part of my marketing. I had been part of a couple of ones that weren't that great. They were more social events. I was lucky enough to be part of a BNI networking group. And the biggest difference that I find with BNI is their accountability. So they actually track your performance and you know how many referrals you're giving, you know how many times you're meeting with the other members of the chapter. So it's very accountability held group. And when you come to network or group, that's what it's about. You want to be
0: able to build your business and, and that's how you do it. And so if you look at your business that you've done, so how much of your business you think has come from your BNI chapter? Um, from my
1: BNI chapter, it's probably about 50% of my revenues come from my BNI chapter. Yeah.
0: If you're listening to this and you're new under two years, you should do everything you can to get into a BNI group. I'm telling you, it's the structure of how they generate referrals and how they make it slightly competitive. Cause you're like, hey, I don't want to be the person every week showing up and not doing anything. And so it creates way more opportunities. And so And if you're not, if there's one start one, like, I mean, it's a lot more work to start one, but honestly, you'll get to know everybody and there's may come a stage in your business. What I've found that people will go to a BNI, they'll be in it for three, four, five years. And then their business will get so busy that they're like, it's not as necessary, but certainly for the first, you know, three, four years. And if you enjoy it, keep it up. But I think it's a brilliant way to grow your business. Okay. So you went through the 10 steps, 10 million program, which doesn't exist anymore. We sort of morphed it into our rookie to rock star, but what was your biggest takeaway from that? Can I give you two?
1: Okay. No, yeah, we have the yeah, sure, extra. It's fine. <laughs> Two, one is the preferred realtor program. Obviously, with our business, we deal a lot with realtors and it gives you a good way to provide that value. The second thing is Game of Phones. Like we were chatting before, we still do that with our team. It just holds you accountable to do the
0: activity. Yeah, I think a Game of Phones is absolutely awesome. Okay. So I'm going to ask some rapid fire questions. You can answer with shorter answers. What's one thing people can't find out about you from Google?
1: One thing that people can't find out about me and Google. Well, we've talked about it a little bit now, but uh, I just recently had twins
0: three weeks ago. Right. You didn't put that on your social media and be like, look at me, I got two kids. the boys <laughs> or girls? Or- uh, one boy and one girl. Okay. Yeah. And what's a movie everybody should watch at least once? The Big Short. Love okay, that movie. movie. And what's three software programs or digital tools you can't run your business without? Django, Zoom, Adobe. Right. Those are really one-word answers. Fantastic. <laughs> okay. What's the best advice you received as a new mortgage broker, new agent? focus on the activity, not the outcome. That's so true. And that, you know, Dustin Carlson is very big on that, right? He's the guy who runs the cable yep. phones and so He can get five leads, but if he doesn't get the number of calls he wants, he's still slightly annoyed because he's not <laughs> even, he knows that it's like, I need to hit my reps of calls. If I didn't make my 150 or 200 calls today, it's kind of funny when I see he's kind of, irritated I'm like <laughs> most people aren't like that but that's why he's so successful all right before we started i'd ask you about like kind of what's your biggest challenges and you said that just getting yourself known especially to your family and so tell me what you did and then we can talk about some i can give you some ideas on like you know, maybe what you could try. So what did you do to let people know what you're doing?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The biggest thing was getting on my social media and just kind of announcing, you know, I'm making this transition from a financial advisor to a mortgage agent. I just need to, whether it be to keep reminding people that I am a mortgage agent or you can you know contact them individually as we were talking at the beginning i had two family members that went to a different mortgage agent and she's amazing and we've had a lot of conversations I'm just kidding but I'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> um and i'm glad that she's taking care of my family but you know i want to make sure that uh, my friends and family come to me first because they
0: know you yeah yeah okay yeah. so most people don't know this is that on social media the number of people that see your post is extremely low so mm-hmm. if it's on a page You know, they say between two to 5% of your audience will see it. So if you send an email out to a thousand people, if you have a thousand people following your page, which most people don't, you're going to get a very small number on your personal page. It's also not fantastic. And if you look in Facebook, you scroll through the feed, one in every four posts is actually sponsored. So like it's literally 25% ads and they prioritize content that gets a ton of engagement. So if it gets lots of engagement, more people will see it. If you throw it out there and only a few people engage, Hey, congrats on your new job. You know, maybe your mom says something and, and your <laughs> wife, and then nobody else sees it. Facebook's like, this is not engaging enough. Don't show it to more people, but that's okay. So what I would recommend is I think you're on the right track. First thing I would do is I would reach out to them individually and just let them know, Hey, I let you know. I don't know if you know this or not. Just probably would say scripting wise and say, Hey, first I'd just call how they're doing. You probably have a pretty good size family. I would reach out to everybody. Check in. How are you doing? How are things? hey, just want to let you know that the mortgage business is going amazing. I don't know if you knew it or not, but I got into the mortgage business a year and a half ago. It's been best thing for my family ever. Just wanted to let you know that if you need anything, have any, even to have questions, I'm here to help. I'd be happy to help look at your situation for you. And if you do that one-to-one, they're like, oh, I didn't know that. Awesome. Cool, man. That would be the first thing. That could be something you do in game of phones is just call family. And I tell people when you're trying to think of who to call, just be like, if you were to get married again, who would you invite to your wedding? You should phone all those people. Like everybody who would come to your wedding would probably take a phone call from you and have a conversation. So, and then the second thing is, as we talked about, you probably know about the VIP club or some version of that. So the VIP mm-hmm. club is, so you can go check, I don't even know where the website is. We can put in a little check the link, but it was a service that I created and then sold to Ryan Wiley. And it's basically contest marketing to your database on a monthly basis. So why do you want to send contests when you're a mortgage broker? Because frankly, mortgage news for most people is pretty freaking boring. And so, you can either do your own for you don't have to use that service, but you can either do it yourself. But if you put them on a news, call it your VIP club, call it Cappy's, you know, whatever, and then make it engaging because truthfully people don't really want to get, you know, mortgage news, unless they're really (laughs) nerdy. They don't want that stuff very often. And so that would be some kind of campaign because the purpose of the VIP club is just so that they look at it and go, Oh yeah. Okay, cool. Right. Cappy's a mortgage guy. He's a mortgage guy. He's a mortgage. So that's all you're telling them. Right. So that would be the second thing that I would do is some kind of, a consistent rhythm, whether it's VIP club or your own version of it, that would be a useful thing to do. And you could, the way other people have done VIP club is just focus on some local businesses. So -hmm. if you want to make it London based, you could be like, Hey, I'll go talk to local business. Hey, I would love to buy a gift card, promote you to my list, get to know the business owner. This is a good thing. There's a benefit to that. The business, Oh, you're a pretty cool guy. I'm going to buy a gift card. I'm going to promote you on my socials as well as my email to my list. So now you're building your network and you're serving the people that already know you and you can put some mortgage stuff in there if you want, but you lead with the contest, not with the mortgage news. Cause most people don't look at it. Like, yeah. you know, I think that will be as what I would recommend, you know, but you're on the right track. I think you were already starting to down this path, but just pick up the phone and you know message them and have a conversation. If you look at the stats, you know, if you have a hundred people in your database and the average Canadian mortgage is like, you know, a five-year term, that means that 20 of them, Need to do something with their mortgage if they have homeowners in that year. Mm-hmm. Dustin, you told me that something like I can't remember the number eighteen to thirty percent of people will do something with their mortgage on an annual basis. So it was like eighteen percent. So if you have twenty percent of Canadians that have mortgages that are probably renewing, plus you have eighteen percent of people that are mm-hmm. in that hundred list, there's people that are doing something just not now. Some of them don't even know they're doing something. Some of them are <laughs> going to sell, so they're going to get separated. Some of them are going to buy another place. Some of them are going to decide to do a reno. They're going to wake up one morning and go, I want to fix my kitchen. But the point is, is that there's going to be something done with that mortgage for probably at least 30% of those people, but a lot of them don't even know it yet. And so this is why it's important to like stay in contact with them. So yeah, um, that's what I would do. So that's just my thoughts. So let me know how that goes, brother. You know, if you decide to, I did a podcast with somebody just the other day and all of their first mortgages came from reaching out to 300 people that they knew, And they just were, like, hey, it's like you know what I'm doing, and they literally did like 10 million dollars in mortgages just from wow. from doing that. So, like, I think you're sitting on a gold mine, as they say. So, absolutely. All right, man. Well, hey, thanks for chatting with me, Cappy. I appreciate it. Hopefully, you know, keep crushing it, man. And congrats on the twins. Are you done? Are you gonna have more kids now, or what do you? No, think? that's it. It's over. You're done. It's you're sorry. like, okay, <laughs> uh, You can have a couple more. Just kidding. So, where can people find you online? At uh, CapMortgages.net. Okay, awesome. CapMortgages.net. Cappy, say hi to Jason for me and I'm sure we'll be chatting again soon. Will do. Have a great day. All right. Hopefully you picked up some nuggets from that conversation. A couple of quick things. One, again, I can't read enforce enough the importance of getting into some sort of a networking group, especially something structured like BNI. It is absolutely a game changer when you're starting. If you want to get some better tips on that, go back and listen to an episode I did with Nick Cox. He was competing against 18 other mortgage brokers for this massive BNI group, and he won it. And he talks about how we did it, so go check that out. The second thing is, is that he touched on in this episode a bit, he was in our 10 Steps to 10 Million program. So that program was the genesis for the current rookie to rockstar program so our rookie to rockstar program is designed specifically to help new agents find convert and fund mortgages faster than anywhere else and one of the things that he had discovered is is that you know he got leads we can show you how to get leads but if you don't have the conversion conversation which is the discovery call the strategy call then you will lose business and so it's gotten very good at coaching on that particular topic And then of course on the funding support so if you're interested in that if you're new go check out rookie to rockstar.ca it's the first place to start in this upcoming segment i talked to ben mccabe from bloom on working with high net worth individuals and using a reverse mortgage it's actually a really cool conversation i learned some stuff i didn't know uh check it out hey ben welcome back to ask the experts hey scott good to be back so hey the topic today is high net worth individuals and reverse mortgage which may seem like an oxymoron. Why would a high net worth person want a reverse mortgage? But I know that there's been use cases that you have seen that have made a lot of sense. So maybe well, let's talk about that.
2: Yeah. So we had a client come into us recently who really didn't fit our typical profile, or, You know, or the quintessential profile we've talked about a lot on the show. You know, him and his wife seemed to have like ample liquidity. They had no mortgage debt, great credit. They had you know seven figures of savings. They had a beautiful home near the waterfront in Oakville, and it appraised out over $4 million. So, I mean, on the face of it, it looked like him and his wife were like completely prepared for retirement. And he came to us, he came looking for basically as big of an authorization as he could get, but he only wanted an initial draw of 100000 So it was uh, it was an interesting one. Usually when a customer comes to us, it's totally clear what the use of proceeds are, why they're coming to us, whether that's you know refinancing existing mortgage, subsidizing living expenses, whatever. But this was a different case. So we tried to figure out what was going on and he explained it to us. And there was three reasons why he was interested in getting a reverse mortgage. Okay, you now have me intrigued. This is like one of those hooks. Like why on earth is somebody with hundreds of thousands of dollars in the
0: bank, a $4 million property, and then this whole only wanting to draw down 100000 Yeah, what's the scoop?
2: Yeah, so super interesting. Okay, so number one is, so he was an accountant his whole career, very, very financially sophisticated. And he explained to us that the way he saw it, there was no difference between the equity he had in his home and the equity that he'd built up in his RRSP. Basically, in his mind, it was all part of the same pool of resources that he had accumulated over his career. To support his retirement. And for him and his wife, they were really motivated to optimize their retirement lifestyle based on that full asset portfolio, not just the RSP. And so for him, if accessing some of his home equity was the difference between spending three months a year in Arizona golfing and not doing that, well, then he was going to bake that home equity into his retirement plan. Right. I
0: see. Instead of just liquidating investments, he was going to also use the equity in the home as well.
2: Yeah, okay. well, he wanted, it's both, right? He wanted to consider the whole financial picture, not just the liquid savings. Okay. And then the second reason that he came to us was that he had a use of proceeds, a specific use of proceeds that kind of fell outside of his core retirement plan. Namely, what he wanted to do was help his daughter buy a home. So that was what that initial $100,000 draw was for, obviously not the full down payment, but giving her a bit of a boost. So since that use of proceeds, it kind of fell outside of you know the retirement plan that he built. You know, This was an additional pool of resources that could tap in for that use case. And then the final reason he came to us is that as I mentioned, he was a you know quite a sophisticated guy. You know, he follows the markets. He's basically pretty concerned that, you know, given what's going on with inflation, with rising interest rates, that we could see a recession in the next 12 to 18 months. And since like his retirement is supported by his retirement portfolio, the stocks and bonds in his portfolio, he's worried about being put in a position where he's gonna to have to draw down on that portfolio yeah, in a yeah. down market exactly. Right. So what he wanted to have is have his home equity as a pool of resources that was available to him to draw on. And so that's why he came looking for that big, full authorization, but not drawing it down right now. He really wanted to have that available to him, you know, if and when markets crash to be able to draw equity you know, out of his home. And so that's the structure we're putting in place for him.
0: Okay. i got questions about this now. So you said a large authorization. So you basically do the authorization based on the current appraised value, correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and in his really high value home in Oakville. Right. And so then if he wants to get more money, I didn't know that you could do this. So this is actually good. We're talking about it. So let's say he's like, Hey, I want to pull out 200 grand. I got to help my other kid. Yeah. What is, what's what's yeah. involved
2: and what's the process for that? So in this case, for us specifically, we can offer up to 1.5 million and that's what we're able to authorize in this case. And so basically what he's doing is we divide it between an initial draw and then subsequent draws. So on his commitment document, he's going to have basically full authorization is, is 1.5 million. We'll register a collateral charge against his home that would allow him to, you know, draw that full 1.5 million if and when he needs it. He's going to take the hundred thousand dollars up front. and then if and when he wants more, he's going to come back, give us a call. You know, we'll do a few, you know, cursory things, credit check, etc., make sure his financial situation hasn't, you know, materially deteriorated. Uh, okay. And assuming it hasn't, then we'll release more equity to him. Okay. And is the new equity what rate does he get? The current rates or the old rates on the new money? So it'll be whatever the prevailing rate is at that time. Right. That which makes
0: sense because otherwise that would be a massive. Like a potential loss for you guys if people could hedge against the. Yeah, we can't lock in. As a mortgage broker, I'm always thinking of angles. I'm like, ooh, we could hedge the rate increases with this. Of course, it doesn't make sense because you can't run a business that way. It'll destroy your margins if people could lock them in and then later on. Okay, so that's cool. So basically, reaches out, you guys pull credit, make sure nothing, he's not like, you know, major happened and then release. And is there a certain size amount that people can withdraw at a time? So he's going to pay yeah. $1.5 And is there a cost? So every time that he
2: asks for money, is there an extra cost to that? Or is it just- um, So for us, yeah. the minimum subsequent draw amount is 5000 So he certainly will be coming back for more than that. And no, there's no cost. There's no fees. There's nothing associated with coming back. You just back basically more. review it, check, send. And then how does the money get into his account? Just gets deposited right into his account. We capitalize that amount against his balance and you know accrues interest from there, just like the initial advance. Right. Interesting. Okay. I love it. So this is definitely a
0: unique case, but it shows how you know this guy obviously has a background in this stuff and understands market trends and that in a recession, we're going to also see a stock market dip and to start pulling out stocks when you could potentially be using some equity in your home. That's you know, 4 million. He could live off that for a while before he ever touches investments if he chose. And so that's pretty smart.
2: Yeah. Cool. Okay. So what are your last kind of thoughts on this? Yeah. I mean, obviously this was not, you know, your typical prototypical, you know, reverse mortgage use case, but I mean, I don't think this guy's alone, right? I think, you know, what he's thinking about doing, how he's thinking about drawing, you know, from his home equity and down market, I think is something that can apply to a lot of high net worth individuals who are living, you know, their retirement off their retirement, you know, investments. So, you know, for him, you know, why did he come for reverse mortgage? Number one was really to optimize his retirement lifestyle, make sure he was taking into account his full financial picture and not just his liquid resources. Number two was he had a you know a specific use of proceeds he wanted that you know, he wanted to help his daughter out. And then number three is he wanted to be able to draw down from his home equity if equity markets went down. You know, something that I think could uh, be applicable for a lot of high net worth individuals.
0: Yeah, yeah that's clever. So if you guys are listening to this, your mortgage broker and you've got clients, like the number of deals I was talking to recently, the number of purchases is down. Obviously, refis are down a bit. And so you need to get creative about some solutions. This could be something would be an amazing opportunity for your clients. So just think of it for that. And so if you guys want to reach out to Ben and his team at Bloom Finance, Bloomfin.ca, they have been growing like crazy and they're doing some awesome stuff. We'll check them out. Ben, always great to chat with you. I learned a bunch of stuff on this one that I hadn't heard before and I didn't know about the whole authorization thing and that you can do it in like this fellow's doing. I think it's pretty clever. So awesome, man. Thanks, Scott. Hey, thanks again for listening to this episode. Hopefully you got some ideas from my conversation with Chris. So first, if you're listening to this and you want to grow your mortgage business, I encourage you to go check out Brokering.com. You can set up a free power search account and you can literally keyword search all of our past episodes, find everything that we've mentioned about any topic. It's an amazing way to learn and grow your mortgage business. It's totally free. Check it out ilovemortgagebrokering.com and thanks again for checking out this episode.